2: Yeah, it's been a while since we've done this. 15 and 60 we're i think maybe a little earlier than we normally start doing it uh, because we've only got about a week and a half or so under our belts Uh, so we may be a little bit more disjointed here some of these teams will probably have more than we usually would other teams maybe not as much just because some of them we saw a game and we told you about it in the middle of last week and we haven't seen a full game of them since then uh, so we've got more on some teams than others but some of the teams that we don't have anything on or i shouldn't say anything but as much on will obviously be catching up on that throughout the next week uh, or so so please please don't feel slighted generally if it's a team that we don't have as much on it's because we've talked about them pretty extensively during the last week but of course uh, we'll talk a lot about uh, the stats some early season trends uh, as well and before we get started here i wanted to remind everyone of we're going to be giving you a number of stats throughout this of just some of the stats that take longer to stabilize versus ones where you can actually start to certain stuff. Uh, Christian Narsu had this a couple of years ago. So wanted to go through some of the things we go in order of just how many games it takes for a sample to pass what is called uh, an R squared of 0.5 with the team's end of season numbers. So basically that once you get to this number of games, at least 50% of this number is explained by the team's actual characteristics, as opposed to just random chance. So the things that stick out the most early on are more play style sorts of things. So pace, for example, it seems overall pace only takes four games to start to be able to get something significant out of it. Uh, Same thing with free throw rate, that's five games. Three-point attempt rate, that's four games. Opponent three-point attempt rate takes a little bit longer because the offense determines that a little bit more than the defense does. And then in terms of net rating, once you get to eight games generally, and this will change from team to team, right? Like the Warriors have already played OKC twice out of their six games. Then maybe the net rating doesn't show as much for them as it does for a team that's played a more representative sample. And obviously, you know, a team like the Pelicans has Zion out, so they're going to look worse, et cetera. So It generally doesn't apply for every team, but net rating usually by eight games or so that can start to mean something as well. And then, yeah, go ahead, Danny.
0: And then some of the ones that take a little bit longer, partially because it can be opponent opponent specialized or everything else is like, or it just takes a larger volume. Three-point percentage is probably the furthest on the other end that people think about, or opponent three-point percentage because that depends a lot on who you're facing. Those are more in the 25 to 30 game range. And then in the middle, your own team's true shooting percentage is about, that's about 12 games in and then rebound percentage. So, you know, rebound rate, all that type of stuff. That's more in the 15 game range. So um, those are those. are. Things yeah,
2: you, that... you don't think the Warriors are going to lead the league in defensive rebound rate like they are right now? Signs point to no.
0: Um, and then you also one of the other kind of the R squared of 0.5 is that you get into things like teams where the sample is non-representative. So like, for example, the Bucks that have played for the first eight games, not only are there samples that are not the same as each other, but if you're thinking about what the Bucks are going to look like for 82 games, I think it will look less like what they've been for the first five than it will for the you know at a, another point in the year
2: yeah and one other thing before we get started too offense is way down there's been a lot of press about fouls and, and yeah foul rate is down about two free throws per 100 shot attempts from the field so basically about one foul per game for each team i, I guess you would say uh, over the course of or one shooting foul per game over the course of the game but that you know that obviously adds up when you especially if that's a play where you the guy thinks he's getting fouled and it's not getting called you know that's probably turning a miss into free throws but the biggest thing that i've noticed so far is that above the break three-point Shooting is way down and so even comparing it to this time last year because as we know offense and shot making generally rise throughout the course of the season corner three shooting is actually up 0.2 percent compared to this time last year from 38 to 38.2 percent above the break three-point shooting is way down 36.5 percent down to 33.3 percent so and we're we are seeing a lot of teams and a lot of games where both teams are like you know 25 percent from three just really struggling a lot of these guys guys who were shooting awesome on three-point shots off the dribble are struggling with that a little bit you know we do have a new ball this year i haven't asked anyone about it it hasn't come up in any discussion and maybe that's because we're still not in locker rooms to be able to talk to guys as much but it, Wilson basically tried to duplicate the Spalding ball as much as possible. So there hasn't been any discussion of that really. I don't know if the, if that new ball is really an explanation to some extent, maybe it could be random chance, although this, you know, we're almost 10% of the, of the way into the season now. So maybe there's, maybe there's something to that. We'll, we'll have to see. It does. I, I would, that will be a good Watfo actually of like what the final year offensive rating will be. Um, but yeah, let's get to the Dallas Mavericks now, Danny.
0: Yeah. We're going to start at the top of the alphabet. Bet for this 15 and 60, and that's the Dallas Mavericks in the West. They are three and two on the season. They are a surprising 25th in net rating. They've been outscored by 8.3 points per 100 possessions, and a lot of that is actually on the offense end. They're currently 28th in offense. Compared to eighteenth in defense, and a note on the five thirty eight stuff, we're going to mention um, projected wins and Raptor. We we do both of those with Raptor, and then Elo is the other one that they do. And Raptor is gonna it's gonna take it's gonna be more. St- steady it's going to dip, they think more of the it sh- shifts towards the early see like the preseason projections whereas elo is moving more based on where things are so when we say projected wins that's with raptor as well as of course raptor so for the mavericks uh, raptor and, and
2: and elo you mean yes Wait, so projected sorry, wins you lost me there for a second
0: the projected wins that we that we use i believe what what ben pulls is raptor not elo because each right. one has its own win projection um so the mavericks the, the raptor is still holding it thought well, it was well, very um, yeah sorry it was very optimistic so about uh, yeah. about the mavericks and so for them it's um, projected that they'll win 48 games which would be good for fifth in the west and gives them an 83 percent chance of being playoffs whereas elo which is more about what has already happened that drops that 83 percent down to 65 percent.
2: yeah and of course that's part of that is because raptor is hey here's what we think of these players add them all up and so it's not going to change that much based on the opinion of the players. It's not going to change that much based on the season. So that's going to hew more towards preseason expectations whereas Elo is based much more on just, okay, here's how you've played so far. Here's who your opponents have been. So let's extrapolate that out over the course of the season. Um, just a, an overall discussion here. Well, here, let, let's, let's go through some of the, the stuff that we put together and then we can kind of talk about uh, what we think of the Mavs so far this season.
0: Sure. So the, what I wanted to do- and of course, we're dealing with a five game sample here. So we're not, we're not, there's like, you can think about opponent play style mattering a lot more for some of the, and the skills that they have. So we're not, you know, we're not talking 82 games. Was the shots that the, the Mavericks are getting and giving up this year versus last year under Rick Carlisle, because there are a lot of different ways that Jason Kidd teams have, have behaved defensively. I've, I've talked about that in offensively. And I, I just thought this was really interesting. And so um, when the Mavericks were on offense, they're taking about 4% of their shots fewer in the restricted area. And so you're like, that kind of, you know, so part of that could be, you know, personnels, that could be a lot of different things. It's so you're like, okay, well, so you're taking 4% away there. Where are you putting those in? And they're not putting them in floater range because that's actually down a little bit. And then the notable one for me is they're only putting part of that decrease in mid range. Um, they're do, they're up to 12.9 now, as opposed to 11. Those are long twos or bad shots. Generally that would be the, you know, that's kind of the, the trope of the less analytical coach and all that. However, most of it is actually gone to has gone to threes so they're 44.2 percent compared to 40.8 so that's so basically they're taking fewer shots at the rim and taking more threes and so like you could think about well, where does that go and so one calibrator of that is that you can look at cleaning glasses location effective field goal percentage which is tethered to basically that's like if you had a normal team's distribution how would you do based on the shots that you're taking and they dropped from 20th in the league to 26th in the league because shots around the rim are one of the best things that you can do um so i thought i thought that was really interesting, that even though they're taking more threes, taking fewer shots around the basket is actually, quote unquote, worse, depending on if they actually go in or not.
2: Yeah, that's interesting. And then the threes are not going in. They're 27th in the NBA in shooting from three-point range, 31%.
0: Yeah, and, and the even more stark thing, I mean, I brought up earlier that the Mavericks are um, 28th in offensive rating, is actually converting the shots. You brought up the threes, but also last year, Dallas shot 69% on shots around the basket, and right now they're shooting 59%, which is a huge, huge drop. And again, we're dealing with small sample size. Some of that could be you're playing bigger lineups, and so there's less spacing, and the shots that you get around the basket are more contested. And some of it is just, you know, a couple of layups not falling makes a huge difference in Five games and it won't as much in 25 games. Um, and there will, I think there'll be some regression to the mean there. I mean, 50, 59% is really low. 69% was really high, but then remember, think about some of the lineups that they were playing last year. And then when you switch it to the other side and you think about the Mavericks are on defense, and this is kind of, in some ways, this has been a, a Jason Kidd thing at other points. It's like, okay, well, are the shots that opponents are taking different? And the answer is yes. But generally speaking, preliminarily, and some of this is, you know, they played the Spurs and a couple other teams. It's been positive. They're taking, opponents are taking fewer shots at the rim. They're taking a little bit fewer as floaters. They're taking more long twos. And they're taking um, about the same rate of threes, a little bit less of threes than before. So they've actually moved from ninth in op- opponent effective field goal percentage, ninth is good, to fifth, which is even better. Um, and they're also doing, the Mavericks are doing some of the traditional big man stuff. Like they're, they've are they been better defensive rebounding this year than last year. Their opponents are getting to the freezer a lot less. But one of the huge problems, just brought up the rim stuff on offense, is that opponents are shooting 66% around the rim against them this year, and they're shooting 43% from floater range. So being big is limiting the shot percentages a little bit, but it's not limiting preliminarily, again, small sample size theater. It's not affecting success as much as you'd hope, and that's why their defense is still lagging a little
2: bit yeah so uh, with all that what do you make of these guys so far well I I actually know we got to talk a little bit more first about some of the individuals and that's Luka Doncic off to a very slow start so far this year under 50% true shooting Uh, scoring is down from 28 points per game to 22 so far Uh, where is that coming from at the moment and again remember some of this shooting stuff can take a while to stabilize uh yeah i I mean this is is all pretty interesting so first off his usage is down as well it was 36.8 two years ago 36 last year which led the nba and then 34.8 this year so his usage is down but turnovers are way up up to 17 percent of his possessions free throw rate is absolutely cratering and that was actually the case last year as well yeah he's yeah i mean so uh,
0: Luca luca his second year where we're like oh he's coming to be an mvp he was taking nine free throws a game last year that dropped to seven currently through five games 4.4 free throw attempts per game
2: yeah and then the other thing that's way down is his three point percentage is 26%. 26%. That I'm not as worried about. I think that that'll do okay. He's actually um, hitting just fine from floater range, just fine around the rim. Uh, actually, taking more of his shots 15% of his shots as opposed to 6% last year from true mid range outside the paint, which is not great. And he's hitting not a great percentage of those. I've always liked his to touch more inside of 15 feet where it, it, he's really quite unstoppable. So, yeah, I'm not incredibly concerned about the Mavericks. Yet yet i mean there is the new coach they're not hitting threes let's see when they start hitting some threes again that and when that normally is because they did bring in these guys who are supposed to hit more threes uh, this season also porzingis is going to miss his third straight now with a back issue um so yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see on the maps. I'm not feeling amazing about them so far, though. But obviously, w- where it's got to start is Luca being the guy that he's been in the last couple of years.
0: Yeah, and they've played some very aggressive, competitive, defensive teams. They had Toronto and San Antonio as a part of that sample, and those two teams have done well have done well defensively, though. Incidentally, Dallas won both of those games, and they really struggled offensively against the Hawks in their opener. And um, that is, you know, and the Hawks have, the Hawks have done well, of course. But um, it's
2: yeah, and it, we're going to talk about Denver. Denver here in a second, uh, but worth noting that the Mavs actually had better shot quality than Denver in their like thirty-point loss when they scored the like, seventy-five points in. Uh, on I guess it was Friday that that, yeah, that happened. Uh, are you ready to move on to Denver here?
0: Yeah, let's do it. Um, the Nuggets are four and two. They are a totally respectable ninth in net rating, about plus four punter possessions. But they're doing it in a way that I think would be would be considered somewhat surprising. That they're twenty-fourth on offense and fourth on defense. They actually. have have a defensive rating under 199.5 at this point. Um Raptor model still really likes them uh 52 wins, which is second best in the West and 94% chance of making the playoffs in Elo. I mean, they're four and two. um it's been a, is a little bit more skeptical. Um 84%. And the thing that I want to start with just briefly is that Nikola Jokic is still an iron man. We talked before about the he bumped knees with Rudy Gobert and didn't look serious and I thought they were going to keep him out of at least one of the two games they had in the back-to-back they had the Mavs and the Wolves. I thought they were going to keep him out of at least one of those just as a precaution. Nope, he plays in both. Now, they beat the Mavs so handily that Jokic only played 25 minutes, but he played in both parts of the back-to-back and Jokic is still um he's number 1 right now in PER 38.21, well ahead of Giannis and then actually as we're recording this, Jimmy Butler is third, um which is interesting.
2: So yeah, the uh, Giannis outstanding so far um the all bench lineup not sure whether we can retire that uh, or not yet uh so and they have one now where they've moved will barton in for austin rivers who who hasn't been playing as much the last couple of games but they uh had 55 possessions their second most used lineup was the all bench group of compazzo rivers dozier Jamichael green and jeff green 55 possessions negative 53.4 net (sighs) rating uh but now that they've subbed in barton for that group instead had 28 possessions only 27 negative 27.4 net rating so they they're actually uh almost <laughs> almost uh, doubled how good they are <laughs> with that group so yeah that's that's definitely a problem we'll see whether that changes or not i think the way i would try to do it is to get both monte morris and michael porter jr out there with that group now the other thing to keep in mind though is and Malone he likes to play lineups a lot you know usually his starting lineup will be up there among the highest minute groups in the league in part because Jokic never gets hurt but Morris Barton Porter Gordon and Jokic is plus 13.3 in 256 possessions and that is nearly half of the total possessions they have played has been that lineup and so you know it is easy to criticize a coach by saying oh yeah this lineup doesn't work you're getting killed in these minutes but they are four and two still And you also have to consider what happens that you can put together super groups if you're willing to deal with this group that doesn't play very well. Now, I mean, negative 53.4 net rating, you also would expect that to get a little bit better than it has been with any five NBA players out there, Mm -hmm. essentially. So, but it'll be interesting to see how this carries out. Uh, But yeah, let's uh, let's talk about how it is though that this offense hasn't been as good.
0: Yeah, I, I, so, I mean, if you want to think about it kind of in the basic fundamentals, you don't want to go too crazy right now because we're we're dealing with a six game sample for the nuggets but earlier in the week they were actually bottom five in three of the four offensive four factors and they're currently they bumped up an offensive rebound after the two games they had um friday and saturday but that's bumped yeah up to well it, hel-
2: it helps to play the wolves because they it suck does it, on the D-
0: it really does rough. um but the nuggets are now dead last in two of them they've they've turned the ball over on basically 19 percent of their possessions so far which is stunningly high and they're also not getting to the free throw line um 11.1 one free throw attempts per um, per hundred per hundred field goal attempts. That's the way that free throw rate is free throw rate. I think it's technically made free throws per hundred um, and. The yeah, that's how turnover. cleaning the
2: glass does it. Yes, at least,
0: is, is, the check cleaning glass throws. does it. The turnover rate, I think that's going to regress the mean. Though there'll, there'll be some improvement there. They're not usually this crazy though. Having Jamal out will, will definitely hurt. But the Nuggets aren't a great team at attempting free throws, even though Jokic hasn't been affected as much by the um, by the by the changes in officiating as a lot of other guys, which is good because he shouldn't be. Um, they don't have a ton of other guys on this team that can draw fouls. It's not really a part of their kind of ethos, you could say, offensively. Um, but usually, like. Yeah. Yeah,
2: Porter, Porter is like a really low foul guy uh, as well as, as one of their mm-hmm. higher usage guys.
0: Exactly. And and so I think that they're, they'll improve in some of these areas. And I mean, they're a really strong fourth in um, effective field goal percentage. And it's not a surprise. Jokic is the, I, I mean, depending on the year, he's the most efficient high usage guy in the league. So it's not a huge surprise that they're doing really well in that category. Also, their ball movement is usually very good. Um, But you want to talk a little bit about transition.
2: Yeah, they are running a, a lot more this year. I looked this up on Thursday. Um, let's see what it is actually this year. Now that I'm, or, or at at this point in the year, because they have played two uh, games since I looked at
0: it. Up. I have it. I have it now. Okay. So they're at about twenty percent of their possessions are in transition, nineteen point six, which is the third highest rate in the league, and they're doing one point one three points per possession on those, which is actually the one of the highest efficiencies per possession of any of the high volume transition teams. The only one that you could argue is higher, depending on how you want to measure it, is Miami. Miami's Taking fewer transitions, but they're a whopping 0.01 per possession, and more efficient.
2: Yeah, and we'll have to take some time to get into their defense another day and see how sustainable that is. Previously, when they've been really good, they've had a lot of opponent shooting luck. Um, subjectively, though, I think Nikola Jokic has been a little bit better, uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about the end of that game in Minnesota when we get to the Wolves. Uh, so I think he's been affecting a few more shots at the rim just watching him, I would say, uh, but opponents are still. still... Still 24 of 35 against him at the rim when he's defending, which is 68%. That's one of the worst marks in the league among big men. And then the other guy I've just been impressed with all around, who has really been keeping them afloat with the struggles of Michael Porter Jr., which we talked about earlier in the week, is Will Barton. He has just been all over the place defensively. He had a game-saving block against the Wolves last night and he's just been bringing a lot of energy I think you know Mike Malone was really complimentary of him even coming back from that hamstring injury late in the Phoenix series where he felt like he gave him some energy and was competing and he's carried that over into this year and that's making it look like that 2 year 16 million dollar deal is it's certainly earning that so far and then some so far this season. Let's get now to the Golden State Warriors. Uh, they walked through the Oklahoma City Thunder at home last night and are now 5 and 1 and their only loss was to Memphis which we're going to spend a, a lot of time on here shortly but i think for golden state i was actually curious to see how they're going to play against the thunder at home because they hadn't blown anyone out yet despite starting 4 and 1 and you know it didn't impress me that much against OKC like OKC just could not hit a shot to save their lives and and they you know we'll talk more about them i'll, I'll hit, i focus more on in my notes on OKC in that game that that i watched in person last night uh so 5 and 1 Plus 6.9 net rating. That's eighth in the NBA. They are 12th on offense 6th on defense 538 this is one where there's a big difference between raptor and elo 538 was very low on them projecting only for 40 wins which would be a tie for ninth in the west on raptor 40 percent chance of making the playoffs elo has them at 76 percent. Uh, however so let's uh talk about that game against memphis which was eerily reminiscent of the play-in game which memphis also beat the warriors in overtime
0: yeah it was a a really fun contest that ended up ended up going to overtime and Memphis Memphis got the win giving the Warriors their only loss so far in the season and i mean a lot of the, a lot of the takeaways for me, and part of that is you know we get to see one team in person a lot, and we get to see the other team more often, so we focus on it. Was was with with Memphis, and I mean the I, it was funny at one point I had the notes about like because and I talked about this a little bit in my Discord chat for uh, dunked on total access subscribers about like what's going on with with Memphis's defense, and one of the things that really on in the season was that they weren't forcing any turnovers. Well, they forced plenty of turnovers in the game against the Warriors. That was a huge part of, of why they ended up winning.
2: Yeah, I was talking about this last night after with the a few people we went out to dinner with after the game and it seems to me that the Warriors really struggle against teams that have defensive playmakers. And you know, I think it, maybe it was just an aberration for Memphis that they weren't forcing turnovers. Or maybe they just forced a lot of turnovers against the Warriors. I'm overrating that because they Memphis got destroyed by Miami uh, last night uh, in their first game back from the trip. But Kyle Anderson, Melton, you know Jaron Jackson Jr., for all his faults on defense at times, does make plays defensively and so they forced so many warriors turnovers and i i mean forced like they let me get the number the exact number in front of me here
0: oh i have it um memphis yeah. forced 22 turnovers 17 of those 22 were live ball
2: yeah and you know, and then they had a bunch of blocks as well kyle anderson had a massive block on draymond green late they made jordan pool look like just completely hopeless we'll talk a little bit more about pool in a second uh and d'anthony melton probably to me had one of the best games and help defense by a guard that I can recall ever seeing or at least like a small guard like him he's only like 6'2 6'3 and he was coming in blocking shots on guys from behind guys would get past him and then he would reach around and strip him it was just you would see a guy lose the ball And, like, you and I would just keep turning to each other and, like, was that Melton again? And it was. It was just an incredible performance by him. And I thought Steph Curry was going to go crazy, and he did for most of the game. And then he checks back in with five minutes to go in the fourth quarter and did not score in the fourth quarter in overtime. Part of that was just Steph missing shots. Like, he was able to get pretty decent looks against these guys, including a very good look at the end of regulation that just missed. Um
0: well Andy had the one that went in but it was but uh, Melton had taken the foul to give and so it didn't count which the crowd went crazy because the crowd didn't hear the whistle but we saw it so um, yeah. also an important note from the end of the game the Warriors actually lost a possession because Draymond Green pulled the Donovan Mitchell where he was kind of taking <laughs> he was taking his time bringing the ball up the court and ca- that was an eight, caused an 8 second foul an eight, an 8 second violation that was so the Warriors had the ball tie game with originally they got it with um, and it was a little bit over a minute to go and then they got an 8 second violation so it looked like yeah, it was going to be that, two possessions and was... one possession and instead it was um, I think it was two and two.
2: Yeah, that, that was an absolute killer. Um, you know, Interestingly, Steven Adams only played 21 minutes. The Grizz went with either Jaron Jackson or Xavier Tillman at center down the end of the game, and they did a lot of switching actually. They switched Jaron Jackson onto Steph Curry. That worked it reasonably well a couple of times, and what they were able to do a lot of times was force the Warriors to attack off the arc, and then they w- would penetrate and just either were getting blocked at the rim or just weren't able to kick the ball out very effectively. And, you know, as mentioned, they had a bunch of turnovers. Grizzlies had nine block shots. Melton, I mentioned his incredible game and in health defense with four steals, three blocks and four deflections pretty incredible for him he didn't have a great offensive game um Desmond Bain was the only guy who could hit a three I man the, the Grizz really outplayed the Warriors by a lot more than it appeared but uh they took more threes than the Warriors Steph took 20 but really nobody else could generate a three for the Warriors other than Damian Lee who we'll talk about a little bit more in a second and then uh the Grizz were only 25 percent from three so they and you know it wasn't like terrible shooters taking these either, other than Zaire Williams what, what did you think of of him.
0: I thought generally Xavier Williams was was trying to do too much and a lot of that was just taking taking bad shots like his his best offensive possession was one where he they closed out a little too hard on Williams and he drove the drove and had a nice finish. And i like, oh okay, that was good. And then I think it was the next trip down the four. He takes this horrendous three. And so Williams ended up uh two for nine overall, oh for seven from three. And as as the Grizzlies as a team shot twelve of forty eight from long distance in a game, yeah. they won.
2: Um but, but that said on on him, he also had two blocks and a steal and I just again like it's important to note that the Grizz haven't played this well defensively in their other games yes but uh you know but to have 17 steals and nine blocks uh and the Warriors you know are not exactly the most athletic team finishing it at the room but I thought Williams was coming over making some plays at the room like you could kind of see what the thinking was with him you know his jumper he, uh, he didn't shoot very well at Stanford and he's been taking a lot of these threes he was very aggressive it just but his shoulders kind of look stiff on on that jump shot it, it hasn't looked amazing so obviously when Dylan Brooks come back comes back They'll be able to minimize his role. So they've also been playing Tyus Jones and John ja Morant together to get a little bit more on the floor. Jaw was unbelievable with 30 points and he had four steals of his own in this one. Like he will and at six, least make and the six plays defensively. Yeah, yeah. That's that was uh yeah, do do I guess they you're kind of double counting there, right? Because deflections yep. that turn into steals, they I think they double count those. Sometimes they're not those aren't like on the same page. It's a different scorekeeper who does the the hustle stats. But yeah, Ja was really good. I thought in the first quarter when they were getting run, it was 37-20. to Ja was actually doing a great job of running pick-and-roll and and setting guys up, and they were just missing at that point in time. And even Jaron Jackson Jr., who hasn't had the offensive start that we would like, I thought he had one of the best defensive games that we've seen. He only had four fouls in 32 minutes, which is better than it has been. He was plus plus 14. He was out there with some of their bench units that did really well. got him back in the game for the Warriors. Uh, Steph Curry was plus 12. They ended up losing by three, although, again, it's... It's Steph came in with it pretty much tied down the end of the game, and they did get outscored during that period. It was a six to three uh, in overtime. It, this was not a high scoring game with a 95 and 92 offensive ratings. The end of the game, the Warriors in close games have actually been closing with Damian Lee over Jordan Poole. Poole Really struggled in this one with six turnovers, only played 24 minutes. He has not necessarily been able to keep those non-step units afloat and really seemed to be struggling with his confidence. He got slightly back on track against okc last night but even at the beginning of that game it seemed like he was really kind of in his own head trying to take a little bit better shots because like he started the year danny and just like basically taking the same shots that steph curry was taking and yeah, now yeah. now he is not being that aggressive anymore
0: yeah he is not i mean small a slightly smaller role within the offense he only took nine shots from the field against memphis um part of that was because he turned the ball over six times so those aren't those can't be shot attempts but also like jordan Poole, he's only Made 50% or more of his shots from the field once. In the Warriors games, and he's only shot over forty percent or over from three once. Those were the same game against Sacramento. Also, the only time he got to the free throw line more than once. And so, some of you know we've talked about this a lot over the years. And Poole's better at getting to the basket than some of the other guys that we've lamented, but not really getting to the foul line much so far. The turnovers flared up twice against Memphis and against the Clippers. And the idea, and you know, like I've criticized Bob Myers for this many times over the years, of like not really ever investing in a backup point guard who can like run base basic actions is seems like, again, going to be a real problem for the Warriors. The pool can do some of that stuff and adding depth to the rotation when Klay Thompson returns will kind of put some players in a better role. But generally speaking, they don't really have anything there. So that's, I think, going to be a real challenge for the Warriors the whole year. I think we're going to, you know, we could see Steph Curry being an offensive RPM beast yet again, because the on-off numbers are going to be crazy.
2: Well, I also think that Steve Kerr deserves some of the blame for this because, and he actually acknowledged this after the game, that they were almost playing a little too free and unstructured. Also, they
0: were playing some lineups that had no offensive talent.
2: Yeah, yeah, but it's you know pool i think like he can play a little bit in kind of their random way but also i think just because guys are kind of running around like the read. if he does get the ball on a pick and roll or he does drive to the basket the reeds aren't as easy for him as a young player because you you're not kind of setting up the play you don't know where everyone is and you know generally playing fast is good and, and in transition but i think pool and maybe this will be helped too when james Wiseman comes back and like the warriors offensively there are some situations which they could use Wiseman because they don't really have anyone who can just like go up and just fucking dunk it around the rim like that was a real problem for them in, in this Grizz game but guys would get underneath and just were getting blocked or had to pass out again because they just weren't big enough or athletic enough to finish so maybe that uh, that'll help pool a little bit uh, a few other small notes uh, on this one Kyle Anderson is actually really tough for smaller guys to stop in isolation and generally especially when Brooks comes back he's gonna have a decent matchup against a smaller player. It's not that hard to get him that matchup. And he, you know, he's obviously not going to blow by guys, but he can just get to a spot. His arms are so long. He has a high release. He can shoot a little hook shot. Uh, he can just shoot from the mid-range over guys like I think that's actually pretty effective offense I would go to that more if I were Memphis when Ja is off the floor and Anderson also killed them with offensive rebounding in the overtime he he was really good at that um
0: I will also note just as a small thing
2: I really enjoyed the
0: Anderson Bielitsa matchups because they're both guys that generally can can like at a speed that players can't deal with but they're both doing that against each other so just it was just funny to watch them match
2: up uh and then at the end of the game Steph Curry got switched on to John Morant twice in a row at the end of regulation and actually stopped him pretty well both times which was impressive and Taylor Jenkins did a nice job of using a foul to give right as Steph was getting ready as you mentioned to try to hit the winning shot Melton fouled him uh, with 2.1 seconds left but then Jaron Jackson Jr this is the sort of play where you're just like man this guy does not have the basketball intelligence Steph Curry is the inbounder And he's, and Jaron is guarding Draymond Green. Uh, Like, the you and I are sitting up there, oh, Steph Curry's the inbounder. You know exactly what they're going to do. They're going to inbound the ball to Draymond. He's going to try and pitch it back to Steph. And Jaron Jackson Jr. just wasn't ready for the pitch back to Steph Curry. And Curry got a wide open look that could have won it at the end. lucky that he missed it and it went into overtime. Um. Uh, but so yeah. We, so it, it, well, we should I do, do s- the Grizz s- stats. Stats. Yeah. So
0: we don't forget. Um. Memphis. They're three and three on the season. They are twenty fourth in net rating because they're only at, they're negative five point two. Seventh on offense. Still a disappointing 29th on defense. They moved all the way up from thirtieth after the Warriors game and a couple others. But then, as you mentioned, they got crushed by the Heat. Um. Raptors still positive on them. Um. But they actually don't have as big a disparity. Uh, Raptor projects them for seventh and forty three wins. Sixty three percent chance of making the playoffs. Elo six. 60%, so, only slightly lower.
2: Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 20. 20- We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz. And we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Every sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences, hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz, find your perfect mattress in under two minutes. here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us
0: um we can jump to let's jump to the houston rockets so we'll do their stats at the beginning um they're one in four on the season the only win being that crushing that they gave to oklahoma city um they're 26th in net rating negative 9.4 27th in offense 25th in defense and not surprisingly the models are not positive on them um they have a less than 1% chance. Per Raptor making the playoffs a whopping two percent on Elo, and um, Raptor actually projects that they will finish second to last in the West behind the or ahead of the aforementioned Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, One thing that I found really interesting about the Rockets and like this will make sense to people, but I just wanted to work through it a little bit is that Houston is number one in location effective field goal percentage, where that's like you know independent of the shot the shot makers that you have, just like where are you getting your shots? And they're 27th in offense. (laughs) And the reason why is because, you know, their shot distribution is what you would want. Again, quote unquote, analytically for over 40% of the Rockets attempts are at the rim, which is insane. Um, Just 6.1% of all their shots are from long two. The problem is that they don't have guys who can actually convert shots. So their offense is inefficient, even if they're taking shots from the right places.
2: Yeah, and you'd like to see them shoot it better at the rim as well. That to me is maybe the more disappointing aspect. I, I assumed that they were going to be pretty terrible shooting it from three, and they've. Although there's nobody who is like particularly below expectations. And um, you mentioned the lo- location field goal percentage. They're actually ninth in the NBA in shooting from three. So it's really been they're shooting from two that's been disappointing. Well, uh, yeah, shooting I shooting mean, 36% from downtown.
0: Yeah, I mean, relative to the league, they're, so there are three, if you use clean the Glass, there are three different zones of two-point shots. You have the restricted area, you have floater range, and you have long two. The ra- the Rockets are bottom five in each of those three zones. They're they're twenty 27th, 29th, and 30th. So even though they're taking shots, I mean, they're only making 25% of their floaters and 26%, of t- sorry, 27% of their long twos. So yeah, they're just they're just not going in. And, and some of that I think will will improve with time. Um, but you know, the they're trying to, you know, drive into a crowd or everything else. And they're also the Rockets, part of the reason their their offense is really struggling, and this, of course, has immediate spillover impact into their defense, is that they're turning the ball over an ungodly amount. They're turning it over. I brought up before that the Nuggets gave to do it the most, they're 19%, the Rockets are second most at 18%. And that's a big part of why Houston to this point they're basically giving up five points per game off turnovers because their margin is that so they're giving up 23 points per game on turnovers and only scoring about 18 themselves and so that you know that can be hard to recover from if you're not that good of a half court offense and everything else but what's kind of amazing five points a game is a lot of it's a pretty significant turnover margin one of the biggest in the league however it's roughly half of the Brooklyn Nets who are not a part of this 1560 who have a negative 10 points off turnover differential this season per game sorry per game
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, Nets don't force a lot of turnovers, and, uh, they also, uh, don't get back when they turn it over. Nope. But, uh, I I mean, some some of the, just checking in on some of the early stats from some of these guys, Kevin Porter Jr. is turning it over through five games on 31% of his possessions. (laughs) Uh, But fortunately, the steadier hand of DJ Augustin. uh, So this is hilarious, right? DJ Augustin, 14% usage, 57% true shooting. But he only has a PR of 4.8. And that's because... He's turning it over on 29% of his possessions. (laughs) So he's 1%. They are really throwing it away. Shingun, you know, likes to pass it out of the post, but he's turning it over on 24% of his possessions. Uh, Sean Tate also 17% turnover rate. Uh, And they just have a lot of guys who have been really inefficient. Jalen Green is that he was 8 out of 10 from 3 in that game against the Celtics. But other than that, he's made 6 out of 20. Or sorry, he's made four out of 28 threes in all other games so he's been pretty inconsistent he's also shooting very poorly from two a lot of those uh, are at the rim jalen green at the rim right now is only 52 percent and he's the, the only guy in on this team really who's been taking uh, long twos and has, has he's not taken many of them, but he hasn't hit very, very many of them either. So he's uh really struggling uh from two as well, thirty-nine percent or thirty eight percent from two, as I said. And uh I don't know anything else to say about these guys. We haven't watched yeah. a, a game of them that recently. But the, the uh, only other th- the only else? other
0: thing, just as a basic calibrator that I like to think about, not I might keep track of this for more of the season, is basically so I like using cleaning the glasses version because it's basically what is the rookie's role within the rotation. So good that filter, the reason I use Clean the Glass is that it filters out garbage time, because, you know, the, that matters in terms of the players getting experience, but it's where are they within the rotation. So Jalen yeah.
2: Green... Well, this team has a lot of garbage time, too.
0: Oh, yes, they do. Um Jalen Green is playing 74% of their non-garbage possessions. Now, that is very high, but part of that is because so much of their games is garbage time. Um But then that drops, so out Shangun playing about 40% of their um, non-garbage possessions, and then Usman Gruba and Josh Christopher, who are getting a little bit of time, but it's mostly in garbage time they're more in the like one to two percent you know like just only a few a handful of possessions that wouldn't cost by there and that's totally fine I mean the Rockets have other guys like Eric Gordon who can who have been in the rotation and they can they can give those guys minutes I mean David Nwaba is playing more than them for example in time but we'll we'll see where that goes it's something I want to keep an eye on.
2: Yeah. I'm also a little worried about Jay Sean Tate and their starting lineup is just not going to be good enough offensively to, to do anything with two bigs would entice Tate at the three Tate is like, I mean, honestly, he probably needs to play center given where his offense is at right now. Cause he's just not an adequate oh. oh you mean shooting
0: 21% on five threes, five threes per hundred possessions is, is more like a center.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he, and like, his usage is also, like, surprisingly higher than you would think it would be. But, yeah, I mean, he does give them something defensively, and I'm sure they're trying to get a, a defensive culture. You know, the the Tice signing, I mean, Hollinger guessed that maybe that was just because they were down the road with him before they realized that they were going to get Alperin Shangun and needed to sign him. And so, you know, having three bigs is not... Terrible, but starting both of them, Wood and Tice together, I'm just not sure how good that is. Daniel House has been out with this sprained foot now. Uh, He, I mean, clearly, if I think if they were really trying to win game or going to their best lineup while also developing, you would go with Porter, Jalen Green, House, Eric Gordon, and Wood would be the group that you would go to. But that, because that at least would have some amount of shooting and spacing for these guys to get to the basket. It's not surprising to me that some of these guys. Are struggling to finish at the rim because they just, with Tate and then and Wood. I mean, you just your positional shooting at the three through five is below average at each spot. Wood's been hitting a few shots, but he still is not you know a conventional stretch four that teams are, and he's not going to be doing a lot of spotting up either. Like he's going to try to work in the main action or, or attack. Um, let's get to the Clippers here. They are one in four. Only a negative one point one net rating though. They are twenty sixth on offense, but ninth on defense. They still project for forty five wins through Raptor and have a seventy five percent chance to playoffs. Raptor, a big fan of the Clippers, and Elo is not uh, cowed by their one in four start, which has also been against reasonably decent competition. Uh, they have a seventy four percent chance to the playoffs per Elo. Uh, I watched. Portland and the Clippers on Friday. We'll have to get Portland stats in here in a second also. Uh, I thought that from the Clippers' standpoint, Reggie Jackson, it's just been a massive struggle for him on both ends so far. He's the one guy, because the hope was that he could slot into being their second-best offensive player. That just hasn't happened. And then they've also had Marcus Morris out the last few games, and it seems like it's going to be some time here before he's going to come back. He's trying to strengthen this knee. And remember, he had issues with it all last year, including in the playoffs, and uh, he hasn't had surgery Hopefully that won't end up being necessary, but. You know Marcus Morris is someone that maybe they could have gone to for a little bit of offense in the mid-post, and also just the, he opens up their best lineups as well, where they can space the floor better for guys like Jackson, and without him, they've had to go more with their centers on the floor. They tried a little bit in the Blazers game going with Batum at center, and but they're really small on the printer. They probably have to have Kennard out there in those lineups, so they you know, you've got two defensive liabilities out there in Reggie Jackson and Kennard when the Blazers put the game away. Lillard just went at those two guys and created space off the dribble for his step back three pointer which just completely unperturbed no problem at all in that matchup. So, uh you know, the Clippers I'm I'm not sure how worried to be about them yet. We'll uh we'll have to dive into that a little bit more once we have a, a little bit more of a sample. Um
0: and one yeah. of the other kind of important parts of the Clippers story is that the reduced effectiveness of Reggie Jackson has put a lot more on Paul George's shoulders and I think individually, you know, if you were just to focus on individual stats, he's been more efficient. I mean, you could bring up from the from that Blazers game, he scored 42 of the Clippers 92 points. Yeah. And in the he,
2: first, he's gone over 40 twice. So
0: he's gone crazy. over 40 twice. And the overall kind of like I mean, he's having so far a very successful year individually offensively, 60% true shooting on a wild 34% usage. And for those of you who like on off, 104 offensive rating with Paul George on the floor isn't great, but that drops to 96 when Paul George sits, and then part of that is a reminder that they don't really have have those other guys who can create advantages as much and so but you also get the other part of the Paul George experience which was at the forefront um during during uh one some stretches of that game worth that Paul George can be efficient as a scorer but he'll he'll turn the ball over and he's not the most consistent passer something you and I harped on a lot in last year's playoffs
2: yeah it was really interesting because overall his turnover rate is not that high when you consider especially how high his usage has been he's the highest usage rate of his career so far uh but he just had this stretch right at the start of the third quarter when the Blazers pulled away to a 20-point lead that the Clippers got back within about 10, but never really made it interesting after that. And so he had... I think on five possessions, he either got a pass deflected or just threw it away on four of those five possessions as the Blazers got out to their big lead. But yeah, I mean, George is giving them everything they ask me, even has 24% defensive rebound rate right now. And at one point in the first half, he had 20 of their 35 points. And that was when he he had sat out. He'd already had his rest during that period also. Um, This was also just a really weird game because... The Clippers made their first six three-pointers and then proceeded to make one of their next 15. And, I mean, the biggest thing you could point to, other than, you know, obviously the injury, Serge Ibaka, I think they're missing. If he can get back to playing, I think he'll be an upgrade on Hartenstein, particularly offensively. Uh, Obviously, Kawhi is out. Obviously, Marcus Morris is out. I mean, those are three guys that they expected to start for them last year and, you know, probably this year uh, as well. Uh, I assume Ibaka will come off the bench behind Zubat's now but uh uh Isaiah Hartenstein also by the way averaging uh 11 fouls per 100 possessions.
0: <laughs> Actually I'll mention I'll mention something at Hartenstein but after this let's do the Blazers stats before I forget. Um Yeah. Yeah, well, well
2: right let me let me finish up here just to, oh, on, sure, sure. uh overall uh, on my point there which is just that the guards are just really struggling. Reggie Jackson 29% from 3, 34% from 2, 1.1 free throw attempts per game or per 36 minutes and only four assists per 36 minutes so he is really struggling and uh has about the same usage as last year as well and just has not been able to make the ball go in the basket at all uh that's been a big problem maybe he'll round into shape you know a lot of times guys who are free agents don't work out that much in the offseason and he had some ankle stuff last year during the playoffs as well but yeah he is easing into the season but they really need him uh, to play better than this
0: so let's the blazer stats so we have them we've just been talking about them at length uh portland three and two on the season sixth in net rating plus 7.4 and fifth in offense and as has been the variable for them for the last bunch of years they're 11th on defense which is why they've been so positive so far positive liked on raptor and elo of uh, 87 chance of the playoffs on on raptor 85 on elo and raptor gives them basically projects them to be the four seed preliminarily in the west with um, 49 wins and Something that you and I have been keeping an eye on, and I was lamenting earlier in the season that they weren't doing as much with Nance at Larry Nance Jr. at center, and part of that is because they have Nurkic, who is incredible, who is very talented, but also because Cody Zeller has been playing really well for them.
2: Yeah, I've liked what Zeller has given them, and um, he's not an unbelievable finisher, but he'll—he's just like rugged enough to kind of go up inside and create some contact, get some fouls. Um, the other thing that's huge about what the Blazers are doing right now is. They are running way more, and this was a a team that was always towards the bottom in pace, and they are really getting out there in transition. So, unpredictable looks at, basically, offensive pace. So, how how long does it take before you take a shot? The Blazers are fifth in the NBA, 11.1% average time per shot and so that ranges from atlanta at 10.7 to washington at 12.4 does get skewed a little bit by offensive rebounds but and the blazers it's pretty interesting here they are fourth in the nba after makes 14.2 14.2 seconds after makes usually your average it, that will range from 14 seconds to about 16 seconds and then after defensive rebound they're not pushing it up as much they're only 21st after a defensive rebound but they go right back up with their offensive rebound and then they also are which again is kind of it's a little annoying that that's lumped in with this because it's you're not really measuring the same thing it's not measuring transition but then they also after a turnover they just run it down your throat uh they are at four point eight seconds after a turnover although worth noting they still are not forcing that many turnovers. that's that may be skewed by a a small sample but as of right now the Blazers are playing at, at a pretty fast pace their overall pace which includes their defense is even higher which you know again that's part of that I think is because of this defense that they're playing where the opponent will run an initial pick and roll you've got Nurkic up at the level of the ball and then you can pretty quickly get a shot out of that but there are starting to be moments where it's looking better I thought at the start of the second quarter in particular It looked really good for them. They had some possessions where Nurkic was getting up there. They would try to move the ball around, and the Blazers were flying around behind the play, making plays, not giving the Clippers an opening, forced a shot clock violation. So that's what Chauncey Billups really wants it to look like. Um, the Blazers were struggling a little bit at first with the switch double. That's a, one thing that Tyloo really loves to do. They were basically trying to get the switch of usually it, it'd be Kennard, Sometimes Reggie Jackson on to Dame or CJ and then rather than just double teaming immediately off the pick and roll, they'll switch it. And then once the guy starts to go into his move, then they'll send another guard to come over and double team just to kind of waste a little bit more time and also make the rotations a little bit less clean than when the guy is getting out of the pick and roll and can get the ball immediately. And the Blazers struggled with that a little bit. And then they started to find some things as well. They started attacking right away the guy who was switching onto him rather than kind of backing it out and allowing for the double team to come over as he started the move so uh, they started looking better at that as time went on and that, that's when dame started doing better um what else we got on these guys
0: i also wanted to note that this was the second time the clippers and blazers have played and the 19 point margin was actually the closer of the two the clippers only win was a 116 86 blowout in staple center early in the year could have been some motivation but i mean plenty of it anyway uh one other quick thing i wanted to mention going back to the clippers uh, i think of this more as just you put a Stick a pin in it, rather than thinking that it's anything particularly indicative. But they've been there's they've been really struggling defensively when Zubats is on the floor. But more weirdly, they've been very effective defensively when Zubats is off the floor. And Hartenstein, you know, you and I are both not the biggest fans of him defensively. And like, there's a lot of unsustainable stuff. This is when George is off, but they, you know, can use it as a reasonable proxy. Opponents are shooting 44 at the rim and 10.5. percent percent field goal percentage from flow to range in those minutes, but again, small sample size theater and everything else. So I'm not at the point now where I'm like, oh, they're better off without Zubats or anything crazy like that. But it is like the, the the one that gives me a little bit of pause is I was super skeptical last year about Dario Saric, and then that ended up being more real. But based on the personnel that the, the they had on the floor, it felt a little bit more. But the Clippers do have a fair amount of defensive personnel on their bench, especially um, Terrence Mann.
2: Yeah, I think Mann has been pretty good defensively to start the season. It's just the problem is he's coming in and he's playing with Reggie Jackson and Kennard and basically playing at the three. Um, back to the... Blazers real quickly they did finally go with Nance at center at the end of the first half and I thought that looked really good with him operating up top. He could do some fake DHOs. He's just a more mobile as a screener. He's a better passer in that type of game. And they're doing more with Dame Willard off the ball. And Dame has not had the greatest start to the season. You know, he did come on towards the end of this one. But I have liked the way that they've made him more of a threat uh, on some of the softball stuff, whether it's they got a little bit of two-man game going with him and Nance that kind of looked a little Draymond-y. And I think, you know, Draymond tried to do some of that stuff with Lillard during the Olympics, but he was injured with that abdominal issue, so maybe that didn't work. But perhaps Dame can open up a little bit of a new leaf with that type of stuff where he doesn't need to be on the ball all the time. I mean, I think he's a better on-ball player than off-ball still, but he's such a devastating shooter that he can use his gravity just to open up a little bit more than, especially in games when the on-ball stuff isn't working or teams are trying to take the ball out of his hands on ball. It'll give him some more options to work with, make him harder to guard in the playoffs if he can continue to work that way. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to look at some of the stats on that when they stabilize. A little bit more, let's uh, let's uh get to the Lakers here. Not gonna spend as much time on them because we've done a couple of their games already, but what are the fundamentals for them?
0: The Lakers overall are three and three on the season. They're about even in that rating, um, so they're 15th overall. They're doing that being dynamic on offense, 8th, and then 24th on defense overall. Um, Remember that Raptor was super duper low on the Lakers at the beginning of the season, and it still only gives them a 40-win projection, which would be ninth in a tie. Um, And Elo, which built more on what they've done, 58%. And the Lakers did get LeBron James back after two-game absence, and he played in their 113-101 victory uh, over his former team, the Cavs. And so... So things are getting a little bit more back to normal for them, but still dealing with a lot of absences. Kendrick Nunn isn't going to be evaluated again for, I think it's about another week. Wayne Ellington is um, is listed. I think he's listed as questionable, but they don't, they don't expect to play him. So we'll kind of keep an eye on all that type of stuff. But of course, good to get LeBron back.
2: Yeah, and LeBron, we've talked about how he's not getting to the rim as much this year so far.
0: Well, and they have a chance. chance, Sorry, they have a chance to get well. I mean, the Lakers' next three games are against Houston and OKC, all at Staples Center. Um, And then things get a little harder, but they don't play. They don't play like a truly. Depending on how we see Miami, they don't play a really dangerous team until closer to Thanksgiving when they play the Bucks.
2: Uh, I I think Miami qualifies as pretty dangerous right now. The oh, way I would agree. But uh, uh, so they haven't really been able to get any kind of stability from a lineup standpoint. Uh, their most used lineup because LeBron has been out, and you know they haven't had a Ariza at all. They've had uh, injuries in the backcourt, etc. None has played some, and then he was out. But their most used lineup only has 104 possessions. That's Anthony Davis and DeAndre Jordan together, and then Westbrook, Baysmore, and LeBron. Seems like that's probably going to be their go-to starting lineup but uh they've been hurt particularly vexing for me with this team is they can't get a defensive rebound you've got russell westbrook playing big you know (laughs) right right they're playing they're playing big a lot of the time you've got russell westbrook who's supposed to be this great defensive rebounding point guard lebron is a solid rebounder for his position he's playing the three a lot you've got two bigs why the hell can't they get a defensive rebound you know that's really uh distressing and then the other thing that i look at That concerns me on offense. It's very interesting their offensive performance right now. They are 38% from three, which. Carmelo has had some pretty nice games he's been very very hit or miss he was good in the Cavs game he was good in the Spurs game and then he was terrible in the OKC game and a lot of that was just shooting variants for him I still wonder about the idea of him potentially being in the closing lineup hopefully when Ariza comes back he can supplant him although you know Carmelo when he's having a good scoring game it's kind of tough but it's just it gives him such a place to attack The opponent defensively for the Lakers that I really like whatever he's adding on offense. It just you could have a really good defensive group and then putting Carmelo out there just like gives them something to run all the time at the end. So they're not getting the line at all. That's a major concern for me with these guys who are, you know, Davis lebron westbrook like these are guys who are supposed to be putting so much pressure on the rim and they are just not getting fouled And these and the, none of those three guys are really guys who are kind of you know the bullshit foul drawers on the perimeter either they're just not getting to the basket
0: yeah and so that is a that is a very real concern and the starting lineup hasn't i mean like i was looking at the russell westbrook stuff like when westbrook's been on the floor they're only they're only rebounding about 70 percent of the other team's misses which is horrendous and so it's and they've actually done better i believe when They've been in the more backup lineups, but (sighs) it's a challenge.
2: Yeah, Lakers also taking the third most shots from long two in the NBA, Um and lebron westbrook carmelo ad all guys who take a lot of long twos we'll see how that plays out of whether they can actually be good at that or not but ad other than his time in the bubble has not been that great at those shots lebron is shooting the shit out of it so far that's another reason why their three-point shooting is is good but it is i don't see them being a top five three-point shooting team by percentage all year and so they're going to need to start playing better in other areas even to maintain what they've been doing so far and obviously they got to get better defense so in the boards i that that seems like it can't sustain. Like, I I think that's going to get cleaned up. Um, So yeah, I mean, we'll we'll obviously have many Laker games that we'll do. Uh, Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns you can customise customize things like the lapel the vents the pockets and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style level up your game with indochino go to indochino.com use the code capspace are our capspace we talk all the time here on the program you get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more that's 10% off at indochino indochino indochino.com and don't forget that capspace code to let them know that you came from us uh, any other things that you had on them?
0: No, I think we can we can move on to the Timberwolves. Remember, we already talked about Memphis. Um, the Wolves are 3-2 and two on the season. They are 7th in net rating, plus 7.1 per hundred possessions.
2: Me- Memphis, you mean Minnesota. Minnesota?
0: This is Minnesota stats. Yeah. Yeah, and the Wolves are not doing it as we expected through offense. They're 22nd, but through defense, where they have a 96.9 defensive rating. Um, Raptors, still skeptical on them. Actually, both are. Um, 39 wins which would be 11th, and 38% chance, and ELO gives the Wolves a 25% chance. And part of that is, while Minnesota is 3-2, their wins are over the Rockets in the game we did as our opener on the NBA cast, the Zion-less Pelicans, and the a-lot-of-supporting-players-less Milwaukee Bucks. And then their losses, they lost that close one, which we're going to talk about in depth to the Denver Nuggets, and then they lost to the Zionless Wolves. So they've had a very soft schedule when you think not only in terms of opponent quality, but specific context of that opponent quality. But they've looked a lot better than I expected all the same.
2: Yeah, what's driving these great defensive numbers so far?
0: Forcing turnovers. That's the biggest thing. It was so striking in that opening night victory they had over the Rockets. Minnesota opponents are turning it over on more than one-fifth, more than 20% of their possessions over for the year. That's more than a yeah. full uh, percent ahead of second
2: place. Yeah. Well, and also I think the highest number over the last, because we, we saw this with the Cavs. Actually, last year, they were forcing a ton of turnovers earlier in the year, and then it ended up moderating. But I think the highest number in terms of forcing turnovers are over a full season. Those Boylan Bulls were up there, although they obviously sucked it in other areas. And then uh, the, and for, the for those, Tony Allen Grizz. Those
0: Boylan Bulls was, were at 18% for a full season. So that's significant. Yeah, and lower. then than where the wolves are right
2: and then and and, i mean i I think it's also just the case that if you're going to force that many turnovers you're gonna you're doing it at the expense of other areas the the tony allen grizz were in the 17 percent range for a, a few years as well but yeah so that's it's not going to sustain that they can keep it, it at that level well, and, um, and, but and i mean it's, it's still yeah, yeah
0: And another thing kind of you asked about the defensive success another huge component of that is they have intense opponent three-point shooting luck so far um their t- opponents are shooting 27 percent 27.4 percent from three that is the second lowest percentage in the entire nba generally speaking teams do less to control that that's more about who you you played and everything else. When it brought up the weak opposition that they faced, that kind of doesn't that kind of makes sense. And most striking of that, Minnesota opponents are shooting twenty one percent on above the break threes so far this year, and more maybe it's more controllable overall. But again, we're doing a small sample size. Wolves opponents are shooting under sixty percent at the rim, which would be a departure from the past.
2: Yeah, that would be interesting to see. I mean, I do think Carl Anthony Towns has been better this year. He had a huge play that should have tied the game up on. Saturday night where he stripped Nikola Jokic on a drive. Anthony Edwards gets it. They're down two with six seconds left. Edwards has a two-on-one. He's at half court and the shot clock buzzer goes off, which caused Anthony Edwards to pick the ball up at half court. Which, I mean, obviously, once the buzzer's gone off, if you if time was expiring, it doesn't do you any good. But I think just instinctively that led him to like pick the ball up like he was about to attempt a shot from half court, he realized what had happened, threw it ahead to D'Angelo Russell, but Russell had fanned out to the three-point line. It messed up what would have been a two-on-one. Then Malik Beasley sprints the floor really hard gets it from Russell heading in for a layup and Will Barton comes out of nowhere to block him somehow avoids landing out of bounds as it gets tipped back in Edwards recovers it. He's got a layup, but Jokic had gotten back and Edwards had to go up with a double pump on the left side of the rim. Still a shot that I, I, he surely would expect himself to make, but he hit it a little bit off the underside of the rim and blew it and time expired. It was just one of the craziest ends to a game that you're ever going to see as Denver escaped. But, uh, and that was an example of towns being more mobile, you know. And just subjectively watching, I haven't seen again. With keeping in mind who they've played, right? Their their opposing offenses have been quite terrible so far, and that, ironically enough, includes the Nuggets even. Uh, but and teams that turn the ball over a lot, Houston, you mentioned Denver turns it over a lot. But as of right now, we can at least enjoy it. They are another way to note this as well: is ten percent of their shots are coming after an opponent turnover.
0: That's incredible incredible
2: and not only that but then they are also like after a turnover they are running it down teams throats and and I should say, after a turnover, that includes... That's 10% of them are coming after live ball turnovers. This is per unpredictable again. Mm-hmm. And they are taking only 5.1 seconds on average to turn that into a shot. That's second in the NBA where they are really running it down to teams' throats. Um, you know, Edwards, obviously, has been a big part of that. Beasley really runs the floor well. McDaniels has been excellent defensively, although he's he's struggling to find a little bit of a place to be on offense. Um, they closed the game against denver with what i would probably say is their best group with d'angelo russell who's been very much beast or famine so far this year at the one beasley at the two edwards at the three mcdaniels at the four and then towns at the five um but obviously they they were not able to be that effective another interesting thing going into the denver game they were averaging 1.16 points per possession in isolation and that's mostly going to be russell and edwards That's probably down a little bit after Edwards had a real struggle against the Nuggets. So that's something that's going to come down as well. So there are a lot of things in this start that I think are going to regress. Bob Volgaris did tweet yesterday. It's good to have him back, by the way, on on NBA Twitter, uh, that he thought the Wolves would make the top six in the West. I can't say I agree with him. I think there's a lot of stuff that is not quite for real here but he said he's been very impressed with Chris Finch I would agree with that I think that their defensive strategy and effort has been very solid so far so I, I think these guys are going to be in the play. And, and I think I picked that even uh, as well before the season. But And I would give the, I think I picked them for 35 wins. I, I would pick that to be a little bit higher. They're projected for 39 right now. That seems about right to me uh, under Raptors. So um. impressed with these guys. The other thing I would caution too is let's just be a little bit careful in anointing Anthony Edwards I think he has a ton of potential obviously you know and and I think I would even with the way LaMelo started the season like I think it'll be an interesting question of you know who would you rather have going forward right now. But Anthony Edwards also has played five games and he's got under 50% true shooting and 30% usage. So let's let's just calm down a little bit. Like, you know, he gets a lot of attention for his good games, but it's also worth noting, even like, you know, like that Houston game, for example, when he's having a really good game, like he was just on fire in the first half of that Houston game, and then he'll come out and he'll shoot himself. He shoots so often and he takes enough bad shots that he'll shoot himself out of his good games into like or he'll shoot himself out of his awesome games into a good game and then he'll also have games where he just doesn't have it at all like this game against denver so but
0: but that's just yeah the other part of edwards is we've seen some real defensive growth from him and i think that's going to continue and that's a part of why you and i are more optimistic about where he's going even though there's still some qualms about where he is and also by the time we do the next west 15 and 60 two weeks from now we'll have a much better sense of where the timberwolves are because they have a big four game Western Conference road trip, not the coming week, but the week after, where they play Memphis, the Warriors, the Lakers, and the Clippers. Incidentally, over these next two weeks, the Wolves play the Clippers three times. So, three of the four. Something most listeners will know that I hate. I think that that's a real schedule imbalance um, issue in terms of if a team has a single guy. At- out or something like that but what we'll, the wolves will have played a much better slate at that point and so you know it's still you know building the samples and everything else like that but we'll, we'll i think we'll know a lot more about them then
2: well and one other thing too carl anthony town 67 percent true shooting 28 percent usage does have 20% turnovers as they're running more offense through him I think he's gonna have to get more comfortable with that but he is at least through the early going an MVP candidate so I mean that that's the most encouraging thing of anything for the Wolves fortunes this year's is how is how good he looked.
0: well we can go from the encouraging start for the Minnesota Timberwolves to the discouraging start of the team they've faced twice the New Orleans Pelicans Pelicans are one in six that only win was the one that we talked about against the Wolves um
2: kind of sucks that through sunday morning they've played the most games of anybody when zion has has been out
0: yeah that's uh that's a real tough thing from a scheduling perspective um they're 28th in net rating being outscored by roughly 10 points per hundred possessions emphasis on the rough um they're 25th in offense 27th in defense (laughs) raptors still holding the fort 40 41 wins eighth in the west um, 50% chance of making the playoffs um, but ELO is much lower they're one of the bigger shifts in the NBA 17% chance and part of that is not only has Zion missed all these seven but um, I'll read a little bit of Willie Green's comments on Zion recently this is on Wednesday he said you can see Zion is progressing and doing more and more on the floor um, once he has the latest round of scans then we'll get a clear picture of where we go from here but we still don't have a timeline and he's not full throttle on anything in drills yet so he still needs to ramp up. like And so that ties in with something that I'm really freaked out about, which is sometimes there are various examples of this that we could point to over the years. Like a team has a really rough go of it without one of their best players, but then maybe the schedule gods smile on them and they maybe they're facing good opponents during that time and they have a stretch where it's Softer, And so they can make up the margin. But unfortunately, let's say Zion's out until, you know, the middle, you know, the middle of November, middle of end of November and early December is a brutal time in the season for them. So like you're fighting to tread water then as opposed to, you know, really making a run. It's gonna be hard for them
2: yeah i mean they haven't had the hardest schedule in the world they played sacramento at home which we'll talk about they had a couple against minnesota i mean i don't think they've even played like any great teams yet they played philly and atlanta and and new
0: york who are all doing well.
2: okay yeah now those are yeah those are uh, all of those those
0: games occurred in new orleans and the bulls have had a lot of home games so
2: far uh would you like to do a uh a prediction or a Watfo on when he actually returns
0: no i don't think i want to i think it just makes me too sad (laughs) (laughs) okay Uh, let's talk Uh, talk about their game against the against the kings on friday this will be a bridge and we'll talk a fair amount about sacramento in this juncture as well
2: yeah so i think jonas valanciunas is having about the year that would have been expected he's shooting more threes he's been more aggressive from out there he's not just only shooting them when he's just left completely wide open as an afterthought and On this team, he's been by far their most uh, efficient option with 58% true shooting. He's been a massive rebounder, as you'd expect, 14% offensive rebounds, 30% on the defensive end, and one of the nice things that he does, too, that's probably underrated a little bit is, especially for teams that are relying on a center, like for example, Sacramento with Rashawn Holmes, he's just going to pick up fouls on your center, just like grappling around for rebounds and and just being physical inside, he's just going to get into these scrums where we saw against Rudy Gobert in game one of the series against the Jazz last year when he was with Memphis, that he's just going to, for teams that only have one good center and are relying on that center, he can just get that guy into foul trouble. And, you know, a skinnier center like Holmes, he just, it's a different sort of challenge for those guys where, you know, being a center these days is generally more about defending in space and protecting the rim and more athleticism. You don't need to be as bulky as in the past, but he's a throwback and he can cause some problems for these teams. Uh, Unfortunately, their guards, can't cause problems for anybody other than Devontae Graham. But Graham's Graham's having a nice season so far, but everyone else is really struggling.
0: Well, And and one of those is Nikhil Alexander-Walker. And Nikhil is in a starting spot right now and has been horrendously inefficient so far. Uh, 44% true shooting on 23% usage. And a big part of that is that he can't hit a jump shot at all. Alexander-Walker shooting 29% on jump shots. And yes, it's good that most of those are threes. He's not taking many long twos but they're not going in so it doesn't particularly help and
2: But, but the problem is they don't really have other people to create these shots.
0: No, they don't. And so it's, you know, De- Devontae Graham, as you mentioned, he's doing well, fueled by shooting 37% on threes on a, on a really high volume. Devontae is taking, he's taking nine threes a game for them, which is pretty impressive. But yeah, they don't have, they don't have a ton of play finishers. And like one of the, one of the ways to talk about that is that other than their two centers, the only player who gets regular minutes, I guess you could say maybe Garrett Temple gets regular minutes, like and, and, is that like the only guy who's played more than 75 minutes who has a true shooting percentage over 50 over 55% is Trey Murphy who is at 57%. So you know Ingram's below that, Herb Jones is below that, Kyra Lewis is at 43% true shooting, Nikhil, I mentioned at
2: 44. Like it's it's tough. Yeah, and Ingram He started off shooting 45% from three, and it'd be nice if that continues, but it's probably not going to, uh, I would say. And he's their number one offensive option, 30% usage. He's not turning it over too much. He is averaging... 4.7 4.7 assists per 36 minutes, that's decent for a, a small forward initiator. But he's not hes not a guy you're running everything through from the top. But the problem is just his shot distribution, he doesn't really get to the basket at all. Only 17% of his shots at the rim for a guy who's supposed to be kind of this athletic slasher first. Uh, and his free throw rate is anemic. Uh, it is only 12%—12 free throws— for every 100 field goals, or, or yeah, 0. 0.12 free throw attempts per field goal attempt, that is like, I mean, you never see any sort of primary creator type with that. And so... They don't have a ton of spacing still on this team. They haven't been hitting shots. Devontae Graham's the only one who's been, you know, but he kind of, he shoots threes, and he'll get to the line a little bit, and, you know, I thought he actually had some pretty good possessions. He looked a little bit better against Davion Mitchell, of the Kings, than uh, some of these other guys have at times, uh, who are more heralded. He just, Mitchell seemed to have a little bit more trouble timing him out uh, and maybe wasn't as up for it frankly because he's not as big of a name but yeah i mean these it's just hard for me to see like you know they got valanchunas out there maybe they can cobble together like some okay offense there but then the problem is on defense uh, as well where yes, you know they've got some guys who play a little bit harder on defense. You know, replacing Zion with Herb Jones. I mean, that's the other problem with their offense is Herb Jones is just a terrible offensive player at playing at the four, um, who just doesn't shoot at all. He's just kind of athletic, but he's out there for he, he's the the Willie Green of power forwards, which is why Willie Green I think is playing him at power forward. Um, well, but and, and you know because they're trying to of, guard people. A part of
0: but, New Orleans' defensive struggle so far. I mean, they've been good on the glass, but struggled everywhere else. Is that opponents are shooting an high percentage from three on them. Like they're they're about forty percent opponent three pointers, and so you yeah. don't want to freak out necessarily about that. But
2: yeah, they're fouling. I don't. I mean, without Zion, you know, I think this is a respectable
0: yeah so i think and I they're, mean,
2: they're you know the 20th to 24th best defense or something like that without zion with zion i think that's gonna go uh yeah but the offense will get better well, and, they're, um, and they're
0: fouling a ton yeah. like that's something that i think could reasonably continue depending on how and they they have you no know, these young guys and then they they're not forcing a ton of turnovers which is a concern that's something i don't expect to adjust based on you know like when when zion returns or anything else but also like playing a higher proportion of their possessions against a with a set defense would probably be a big help so that's something i'm looking forward to but let's get to the kind of the sacramento portion of that game and actually
2: well what a couple more sure. sorry a couple more pells observations that i had here uh Valanciunas just a, as a pick and roll defender late in games and especially when it's the pick and roll involves him and devonte Graham and both of those guys kind of need to be out there for offense with the way this team is built right now they just have no chance to stop anybody the kings late in that game as it got into crunch time were able to get four pick and roll buckets in a row Essentially, uh, either setting up plays out of pick and roll to the big or just buckets by the ball handler uh, in the attacking the Graham Valanchunas combo. And then Jackson Hayes started off poorly against Sacramento. He actually did come on a little bit and uh he's been their most efficient offensive player with over 60 percent true shooting which you would obviously hope for uh, with him but he he was able to get some nice dunks off of like missed layups on the pick and roll where he's able to come in and uh, had a couple of nice blocks uh, as well uh still can can run the floor so i you know is he gonna be worthy of the number eight pick and, and a starting center i don't think so but he's he sh- showed at least some flashes in this game there have also been some games where it's been really rough with him. Him so far um yeah let's get to the kings though well what are actually their
0: before that i just want to mention right. um one thing <laughs> we brought up we brought up Nikhil, alexander walker's limitations and some of that is you know he just hasn't been a great shooter but some of it is also the shots that he takes both jump shots and around the basket like i mean he just he just try. like he he's he's sometimes overly aggressive and that can create some problems
2: let's uh let's get now to the sacramento kings and their fundamentals
0: sure the kings are three and two on the season they are about even in net rating negative 1.3 is 17th and the general dynamic is probably what we'd expect they're ninth on offense which is maybe a little rosier, but they're 23rd on defense um raptor still skeptical 35 wins 13th and an 18 percent chance of making the playoffs whereas elo based on the three and two start and being around even in net rating more optimistic 36 percent chance of making the playoffs for the king
2: yeah so sacramento they haven't really had a comfortable win yet and, and that always i mean that's kind of of harkens back to last year as well where they had some winning streaks that turned out to be fool's gold because they were just winning a bunch of close games in a row Uh, but i think that they've played some against some of these teams where you see them against a team like the Pels, and you're like yeah they i think they are comfortably better than the Pels. Uh, I thought that Tyrese Halliburton has had an interesting start to the year. Uh, He has continued to improve in pick and roll. He's kind of got this floater as his primary weapon, but he does a very nice job of using that to set up other aspects. He's become one of the better guys in the league of jumping for what appears to be a floater and then getting the big to commit to that and then changing that floater into a nice floating pass to usually Rashawn Holmes for an alley-oop. Those guys have a very nice chemistry together. Uh, they also have stopped playing Tristan Thompson lately. They're, Alex Len seems to have seized some of the backup center minutes, which it makes it a little bit of a failure to have acquired Tristan Thompson for Delon Wright. Although I think they just kind of wanted to take that club out of the bag so that Davion Mitchell could play. And but I think Len gives you more than Thompson just to, mm-hmm. as a rim protector. Buddy Hield continues. Yeah, go I tar. was going
0: to mention while we're on the front court rotation, Marvin Bagley's played a total of ten minutes this season.
2: Uh, it's a case of mismanagement, total Literally. mismanagement. By but by this king's team um but are we including the drafting of bagley in that by the way i mean we um, should be. let's see um oh i know, want to hear men- fox yeah
0: i wanted to right. mention harrison barnes before we get into fox
2: um, yeah yeah please Let, let's 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 talk about it
0: yeah harrison barnes has had a really strong start to the year I maybe mean, it helps when you're shooting 53 from three he's taking 7.2 per game there and so barnes per over 25 true shooting over 68 on 23 usage which is really impressive and so I, I think that the um, like the start for him is given the Kings a margin for error, which is important when you consider the struggles of De'Aaron Fox, which we can talk about a little bit. I do want to save that potentially for a future one, but we still can talk about it a little bit now, especially in the context of the game yeah. against the... Uh,
2: well, let's, let's continue on Barnes, actually. Okay, sure. I mean, the 53% from three is not going to continue, but it, he just has been very efficient offensively. He had 18 points uh, on only... 12 shooting possessions and this one obviously he had that huge game winner against phoenix that we talked about for the gamer but one of the things that stuck out the most to me is that he's just become a better on ball player with better feel over the course of his career one of the criticisms that i had of him early on was that he was very athletic but he just didn't really have good feel for finishing around the rim he would just kind of jump as high as he could and would either get blocked because he didn't have a good understanding of how to use his body or move the ball around to avoid the shot blocker or just didn't have the touch. But now he's really slowed down and he's become one of the better guys in the league at that lower the shoulder Euro step move. When he gets into the lane, he'll just go slow. He's got that big, powerful body, especially if he's playing, it's mostly playing at the four, but if he's being guarded by a smaller player, he can just get his shoulder into that guy legally, you know, because the guy's not in front of him enough to take a charge, knock the guy backwards, and then Euro step over the other way, get himself open and just not be out of control so that he can make a play much better, around the rim they're even working him in pick and roll on occasion and he still is uh, getting some reps as well like he was the primary guy guarding Devin Booker at the end of the Phoenix game I think he's gotten a little bit better there so he's just kind of flowed into his role and Tim McMahon had this point on Twitter which I think is a really good one a lot of us were critical of the Kings for acquiring him in the last year of his deal at the 2019 trade deadline. And the Mavs did it to open up cap space. They had already traded or or yeah, they had already traded for Porzingis at that time. And they felt that they could do better than Harrison Barnes. They didn't want to have to give Barnes a new contract. He was going to opt out. It was like, yeah, it was good job getting off the rest of this contract. Uh, Well, actually, it looked like at that time he was going to opt in. He ends up opting out, but only because the Kings gave him this longer term contract that now declines and actually looks like a really good contract. But the Mavs blew it. Like, they would love to have Harrison Barnes on their team right now. They've struggled to shoot the ball. They don't really have any kind of a secondary score at forward. I'm not sure he's, like, quite a number two option, but he could at least be a little bit of a hybrid type of guy there. So he would look really good right now in a Mavs uniform, making what he's making with the Kings. And that was a pretty good move by the Kings in the end, one that not many people agreed with and that they deserve some credit for.
0: Yeah, that's a great point by Tim McMahon. And it also, you know, the it's from Sacramento's perspective. Also, you can see how it's it illustrates the challenge of cap space. And you could I I mean, it's fair to argue that Sacramento could and should be more tempered in their expectations of the value cap space than other teams. You know, they haven't they haven't necessarily had the best track record. They're better as the leverages than they are, you know, really wooing these top level guys. But, you know, like I, I would say they've done better with that, you know, 20, 25 million plus than than dallas did and maybe dallas you know like the possibility you know of Giannis and that kind of thing is there but you know like what was the likelihood and everything else so it is it is a really interesting question and some of these teams that were more risk averse like, i mean when you think about what you know toronto miami miami's worked out reasonably well in dallas that they were kind of hoarding space and some of these other teams took advantage of that and did well
2: yeah so we don't need did- Diagnose Fox's struggles too much here, but he's got 44% true shooting on 31% usage so far. His points per game has declined by six so far this year. Turning it over a ton as well, 16% of his possessions there. Uh, Not getting to the foul line nearly as much either. He is shooting. A miserable percentage from three, despite taking 32% of his shots there, including some pretty aggressive step-back type of looks. He's shooting 16% from three. Actually, a lot of guys who three-point percentage on this team are a little worrisome. Uh, Davion Mitchell, 24%. Mo Harkless, 22%. And Terrence Davis, who's supposed to be taking a lot of them, is 11% from three. But that's made up for by Barnes and Heal both being uh, looking really good so far. Those are guys you expect to hit. But just something to keep an eye on for Fox and hit both his shot distribution getting to the foul line and also just subjectively like I mentioned the play against Phoenix where he didn't get back on defense there was almost like a Harden-esque play reminiscent of where I think people will remember this one from last year when he was with the Rockets where he just was like all right I'm just gonna throw it to the other side of the court to let this guy do something but not put any steam on it and so he did that and immediately just got intercepted for a dunk by I think it was Nikhil Alexander-Walker and he, it was obvious as soon as he threw it that it was going to get intercepted. And he just basically never moved, just kind of jogged back. Another one of these plays. He started remember like John Wall a few years ago is like one of the fastest guys when he moved, but spent the most time walking of any player. And like I don't want De'Aaron Fox to turn into that. There's just been a couple of weird plays early on. Maybe he's just frustrated with his shooting or something. But where he just has not he exhibited unacceptable effort, and that's not something that you saw as much from him before. Yeah, that's uh, who's up
1: next here. Yeah, go ahead, sorry.
0: No, I was just going I was going to echo that that's absolutely concerned for me. Um
1: everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac burger, McNuggets or McCrispy sandwich. But you're the Fileo fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
0: Let's go to the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, we, we talked about... Ah! <laughs> well i mean the, so the thunder are one in five on the year they are
2: maybe that's my favorite Simpsons. that actually might be my favorite simpsons reference by <laughs> the way just homer simpsons cowardly scream
0: um so thunder dead last in net rating though they are not last in either offense or defense they're 29th and 28th and they're Yay! they're not gonna make the playoffs maybe that's
2: my favorite simpsons reference the uh the nonsensical crowd uh yelling it, just the the overall crowd dynamics in the simpsons like the stuff that they'll do it pretty funny but uh anyway sorry i i uh that was oh yeah that was on on a public pod yeah so yes it was let's heard that too um, uh, but yeah okay sorry so th- I, I so the, you, the, uh many times yeah it's all right
0: the the thunder lost 82 a- at the hands of the warriors in San Francisco on Saturday and I, I mean like the hard one of the hard elements for like thinking about the thunder is that you're not necessarily thinking about what are they right now because they're obviously pretty terrible and they've been better you know when they've gotten a couple home games they've been competitive more often than they were in the very early part where they were just getting trucked. But you're trying to evaluate not only how good are these guys, like Giddy is probably maybe the best example of this, which is not necessarily how good are they right now. How good are they going to be two to three years from now, and do they make sense with each other? But, like, I I don't know, like, Pokashevsky is a crazy one with this. It's, it's like, I still don't know what the hell to think of him, and, like, you say, oh, well, he'll be better in a couple years. Like, yeah, maybe, probably. but like. Is that player somebody that I think is going to be like a no doubter starter? Like, I'm not feeling that way yet, but like Giddy, uh, by comparison, I have a much better sense of like what he can do well and how that works with a successful team.
2: Yeah, so I, I that's probably a place to start. And Giddy, it, it, I thought the contrast with Jonathan Kaminga, who made a brief debut, admittedly without really having practiced much at all and like coming off of injury, but looked pretty lost even in garbage time against the uh, OKC's backups giddy has looked great i i mean i if i had to guess right now I, I was critical of okc for that pick i thought they should have taken kaminga and we don't know what kaminga is going to be yet but just based on how good giddy has looked already i would say if you had put a gun to my head right now like did they make the right pick at six i would say probably that they did uh and a few reasons for that we talked some about giddy already but i saw him pre-game shooting and this is reporting that you can only get it dunked down. i actually tracked all of his makes and misses in his pregame shooting routine and and i thought it was like his floater has been good uh that that was something that he was hitting a lot i thought his mid-range jumper actually was very reliable uh and then when he got out to three he was hitting his spot ups at a decent rate about half of his spot ups which is that's not great for a a guy overall in the nba who considers himself a shooter but given where he is as a player that's not bad then when he gets to shooting off the dribble though that's where it really kind of broke down for him in terms of his percentages in this workout he was hitting very few of those and during the game seeing him in person he definitely is Faster than you would think that he is. He's able to get downhill at guys some, and he'll kind of go into this like very quick fakes fake series of of inside out dribbles which i think are actually helped by his hair flopping around it makes it look like there's more going on in those fakes than there actually is and, and likes to get back to his right hand but also can go left and just once he gets downhill it's almost i mean he's not this type of player but it's somewhat reminiscent his finishing at the basket of magic johnson where he's just he and magic i remember talked about this shortly after his career was over Is he's like it doesn't matter who you're attacking in transition If you're going fast at them and they're not just waiting for you under the rim, they're backpedaling you have the advantage because it's really hard for a guy to jump and move his feet when he's backpedaling and giddy kind of takes advantage uh, of that to get to the basket particularly in transition uh, or if he has a head of steam going downhill he definitely also has an ego as well at one point draymond green switched out onto him and he decided immediately that he was going to try and score on draymond green and he went to a step back which is not that's just not a good shot for him right now but he's got uh plenty of room to explore the studio space on the team. he also made a couple of nice plays defensively you know as a lateral movement guy, a one-on-one defender, I think he's gonna struggle for some time. The Warriors aren't the type of team that's just gonna try to target one guy as much. But he did make a couple of nice plays and help defense. He came over, forced a miss layup at the rim. He's got pretty good size. Like he is a true, probably six eight. Um, so I, I thought he again, it was it was a nice He also just in transition, he's able to make short range interior passes where he'll kind of get to the elbow and then find guys sneaking in from the baseline or running the floor right to the front of the basket. So pretty impressive by him. I've liked what I've seen from him so far.
0: Um, I I got a few
2: other notes here. Do you have anything to break in on?
0: Yeah, I just want to talk. So we're only six games. I'm not going to go crazy about anything yet. But Lou Dort's rookie year where we kind of like was thrust into a larger role on that version of the Thunder team shot, you know, had all this defensive value, but shot 30% on threes at a lower volume. And then last year, Dort. Up to three point volume and shot thirty four percent, but early on he's struggling. The volume's down a little bit, and he's only making twenty seventy seven of thirty one so far on the season. So I want to keep an eye on that and like because the you and I have talked a lot before about yeah.
2: I, I actually it, can I not keep an eye on OKC's three point shooting? I'll is do it like, can for I just it. Not I'll do it watch for us. it. Is that is that an option? It, okay, but thanks. so like I, the, I appreciate it. the
0: idea of how a three and a three and D player is often dancing on the edge of one or the other. And so with Dort, that could end up being the case. He's done, a, he, you know, there have been times when he's done a little bit more with the ball in his hands. Dort's assist rate is actually a little higher this year, despite the presence of both Gideon and Shea. Um, so we'll have to keep an eye, you know, I like see see where that goes. But it's like the idea that you know you that at tw- you know at twenty two we expect him to get better. But like, is the three point shot a given after that thirty four percent last year? And I mean, I'm not going to say like he's terrible. Like he's not. He's a twenty seven percent shooter for the rest of his career or anything silly like that. But it's like it being real for one sample does not mean. That that it's just the way it is now that's why you need to see more than even the 300 he took last year
2: well and the other thing i would say as well for dort is i think he's lost touch with what made him a good prospect he has actually not impressed me defensively so far this season, I thought they put him on Steph Curry in this game, and I, you know, the first half they weren't really going to Curry that much. But like, if you compare Dort's effort to someone like Dylan Brooks, and Dylan Brooks has even more offensive responsibilities than Lou Dort has uh he's just not making guys uncomfortable he's not you know just like bumping them up the court and you know getting into him off the ball really instead he's and they're not they weren't doing hardly any switching at all I thought their bigs did a very poor job on Steph Curry but they start off the third quarter and Dort just loses Steph Curry off the ball twice for you know no screen just Steph Curry he loses him turns his head and Steph Curry cuts away from him and gets open and he just didn't make Steph Curry uncomfortable but He didn't even try to make him uncomfortable, which is the the other thing. I just think he's not like he earned his reputation against James Harden. And yeah, I think he's still a pretty tough guy to ISO against, but he's just not putting enough effort into the defensive end to have the main thing be the main thing for him and he did have that 42 point game last year but he's not a major part of the offense he hasn't been efficient so far but yeah i thought that was a little bit disappointing for me that if he really wants to get paid someday he's gonna have to look like an elite guy and he's maybe living off that reputation that he established in 2019 a little bit too much um let's see i got a few other thoughts here uh on this game You know, I I talked already about Poku and and his struggles defensively. You know, Nemanja Bielica decided to ISO on him and go right through him for a layup. That's uh, not particularly exciting. Shea is... Up to 40% of his shots as three-pointers from 33% last year. He's hitting 33% from Dantani. Remember, he was 42% last year. He's not going to get to that number this year. I think he's trying to up his number of threes, which I think is a good thing. But he's taking a lot of difficult ISO step backs. He shoots, he and Tyrese Halliburton have somewhat similar form, but he shoots this kind of moon ball, particularly when he'll step back to his right, that I just it goes so high in the air. I just wonder about whether he can make that shot consistently or not. You know, I think it's better for him coming off the pick and roll. He also is just isolating a ton. And I think part of that is just because their bigs are so bad that he just doesn't want to bring them into the play and allow himself to get double teamed. The Thunder actually, when I looked at it before the Warriors game, were second in the NBA in isolation percentage. And a lot of that is Shea. But overall, Shea's statistics have been good. He's had some really good games. Others haven't been that great. Uh, but it, it, he's uh he still has a, a lot of ability to get by guys i, I think he's he's been fine he's still uh, on the On the right path, and I think that's all I got here on OKC. Yeah, I'm
0: I'm done with them as well. So we can jump to the Phoenix Suns. The Suns are two and three overall this season. A disappointing, well, preliminarily, 22nd in net rating, outscored by 3.5 per hundred. They're 16th in offense, 21st in defense. Raptor holding strong, thinking they'll win 50 games, which would be third in the West, and Elo thinking an 87% chance of making the playoffs. And one basic stat that I thought was was notable, notable might be a overstating it, intriguing for the Suns in the early going, is that last year... This, the Suns Suns opponents had the second highest isolation frequency in the league. About 8% of opponent possessions came in isolation. The Nets were the only team with higher. And remember, the Nets switched everything for a lot of the year. This year, only through those five games and six for some teams, Suns opponents are only isolating 3.6% of the time. That's the lowest in the league. Um, now, they're unsuccessful on those ISOs, but they're not doing it very much. And I had a couple different theories. I think one of them is that a lot of the Suns opponents isolated a lot last year. So you could think that you know Portland and the Lakers have, have done a lot of ice isolation in the past. But the other part is that I brought up the Nets, and part of the reason that the Nets opponents did a lot in ISO was because they switched a lot. And the biggest personnel shift for Phoenix this year compared to last year is their second unit, that Dario Saric is no longer available due to the torn ACL. So instead, they're going with typically JaVale McGee in those minutes. And so they can't do as much switching, so they can't do as much isolation. That doesn't make it a failure or success in and of itself, but it is a difference.
2: No, that's a, a good point to make there. And yeah, that second unit is going to be something to watch all season. But obviously with Cameron Payne out as well, it's more of a concern. And while they did take care of the Cavs, 102-92, and we're we're up big most of the way, Cavs kind of got back into it with a junky small lineup with Markin in at center. Didn't play a lot of their best guys. You know, like Jenny Osmond was 6'12". Well, and,
0: and that was the, the Cavs okay. on the tail end of a back-to-back. They played the Lakers the night before.
2: Yeah right so i think they they took it a little bit easier and some of their starters just were really struggling so they just decided to it, it, when the reserves made a run just to stick with them but uh, phoenix uh, concerning they're, they're gonna shoot the ball better They are six of 26 from three in this game but the concern is that chris paul had to play 37 minutes in this one alfred payton played 11 he was negative nine uh they shamet, who they played booker and Shamit together in the backcourt at times he really struggled he was negative 16 0 of 5 for From three, Uh, the Javale units were really bad as well. Negative twenty-one for him. DeAndre Ayton was awesome with seventeen points in twenty-four minutes, but he suffered a leg contusion late. Doesn't sound like anything that's going to be too serious. For him, but yeah, I mean, Chris Paul having to play 37 minutes in what should have been a blowout of the Cavs, and he led by 24 in the third, and you just didn't trust your reserves to close it out. Like that's that's a little bit of a concern. They don't they would like Chris Paul to play 30 minutes. I think Monty Williams decided like, hey, we're one in three, we need to win this game, uh, but that's just that's just not where you want to be in terms of putting mileage on Chris Paul for a team that in theory has higher aspirations, and uh, you know the Suns have started off a little more slowly, I think we talked about this, I can't remember what day it was, that maybe I might move them down my expectations for them kind of more into the pack with that Denver, Dallas, Golden State group as 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 opposed to being clearly above them based on how they've started. Yeah,
0: I think that was the after season the, so far. I'm trying to. Was that after the which game was that? Maybe after the Sacramento one. Is that possible? Yeah.
2: Was, yeah, that that must have been it. Yeah, yeah
0: after Harrison Barnes at the game one. Yeah, that makes
2: sense. Wednesday. Yeah. Um. Now Devin Booker did go off in the third quarter. The Cavs did not have anybody to guard him. That's one of the problems with the Cavs in their starting lineup. It's either Colin Sexton or Larry Markkinen are your two options to guard Devin Booker in their starting lineup which is uh neither of those are are particularly outstanding but then they give up an 11-0 run to end the third lets them right back into it uh with alfred payton what is their net rating with alfred payton on the floor right now by the way it may not be as bad because i remember looking at it a couple days ago and like chris paul had like a negative 23 net rating so it may not be all the the payton minutes perhaps that's too facile of an explanation
0: they have a negative 15.6 net rating when alfred payton's on the floor and they have a basically a slight Negative when Payton is off the floor, so it's negative fifteen point six, negative one point three. is, is the Okay, on-off.
2: well, it's good then that that has caught up to expectations. In that case, yeah, they are also facing some pretty bad opponent shooting luck right now on defense. Yes, um, and they are doing really well on the defensive glass and doing extremely well not they their second in the nba with that so I, I do expect their defense to get better at 21st you know i think they'll end being in the top half of the league there so so that's one thing that they can point to that will hopefully improve one thing that's a concern for the suns though is that they are 28th in three-point attempt rate and for a team that has good shooters you need to get those guys more shots i know the suns like to get into the mid range and that that's a part of what they do and they are at least getting to the foul line a little bit more but that's not great and then they're also shooting 31 from three and that's going to get better opponents are shooting 40 from three so some of this stuff is just gonna iron out due to shooting luck but also i think they need to be higher than 28th and three-point attempt
0: rate yeah I, I wholeheartedly agree, and oh yeah, I was gonna I was gonna go somewhere else, but I don't think we need to do that. We've already talked about the Blazers and the Kings in the context of their opponent games, so we can go to the San Antonio Spurs. The Spurs are two and four overall in the season, but despite that, have a positive net rating. And then remember, clean the glass filters out garbage time. They're plus one point seven, uh, which is fourteenth in the league. They are seventeenth in offense and a very respectable tenth in defense. Still skepticism, justifiably so from the uh, from the models. Raptor 36 wins, which would be 12th in the West and a 21% chance of making the playoffs. Elo is a little more optimistic at 36%. And one of the Spurs two wins on the season was, was against the decidedly shorthanded Milwaukee Bucks, you know, still good to beat the Bucks. And it was in Milwaukee. They won by nine. And then their only other win was against the Magic at the very beginning of the season.
2: Yeah. But you know, they, they've had a couple of close losses. They, and they, they could played good, look And they played good I teams mean, too. Yeah. Like,
0: I mean, they played, granted, yeah. they played the Lakers without LeBron but they played the, the Denver at their version of full strength that memory serves. And then they played the Bucks twice and Dallas. So, yeah.
2: Yeah. And they're you know, I think projected wins at 36, that seems about right. I think they can be in the lower fringes of the play in. Um, yeah. And they did have that win in Milwaukee Bucks, You know, not looking great without Drew Holiday and Brook Lopez so far. Uh, They finally got Thaddeus Young off the bench to guard Giannis in that game. And he played well. He was five out of eight and was a plus off the bench uh Bryn Forbes had a totally weird game. Uh he was 7 of 16, but took 12 two-pointers and was 6 of 8 in the paint. I think pop maybe played him some some more than he would have just cuz that was uh his former team. Uh the offense is about what you would expect uh, I, when I had uh, Noah mcgarrett George on to do the preview for them. We predicted that they were going to take a ton of mid-rangeers. That is the case. They are third in mid-range frequency in terms of just overall twos away from the rim floaters and mid-range jumpers but at least they are seventh in accuracy on those shots and that was one of the things that we wondered about coming into the season and again this is very early on just overall field goal percentage so this could decline quite a bit uh, that so let's not they're doing what they need to do so far that's more what this is as opposed to they'll be fine going forward uh but yeah so hitting 44 percent of the their twos away from the rim that's a pretty solid number enough to get their offense up to where you'd hope it would be. And then the other thing that's helping them on offense is they're running a lot.
0: Yeah, they are. And and that can be a, a way for a, especially a team with limited shooting to kind of make, to, to get a little bit of advantage. They're playing at the third highest pace overall. And they, they have guys they can push. It. You know, DeJounte, that's one, one of the things that he can do well. So I, I think San Antonio needs to do that. And I'm happy that they are. Um, one thing that I
2: wanted to bring up, yeah, which has been a contrast from kind of where, where they have been at times when they had more veteran groups. Um, oh, so three point shooting might be a problem for these guys though. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Maybe just a little bit after they shot seven to 31 against the box, though. They were 12 to 30 in that game. They lost to Dallas. Um i mean that's that's just gonna be a challenge all year this team doesn't have a ton of shooting they're not playing yeah. they're not playing four spacing fives they're playing and they also oftentimes have limited shooting at other spots and kind of to tie in to an extent with that we yeah. wonder and, and
2: mcdermott is, is yes, out. yes and, too, that's, and that's where i want to go miss at least two more games yeah, yeah.
0: is that mcdermott so mcdermott got hurt in i believe it was the lakers game and so we're like okay they're going to start somebody in the, in the lineup and it's ended up being lonnie walker in both of them walker shot a little bit better against against the mavs in a, a narrower loss um, that they led actually a lot of that game and then was one for eight including one for six from the field in the win over the over the Bucks. and so how they want to make work make it work with that small group I mean they could go I mean because you want to have somebody who at least can shoot you know in that lineup you don't want to go even smaller with Bryn Forbes so it was kind of Vassell or or Lonnie Walker and both of them struggled at least from the field in that game though the the Spurs bench was an important part of that win they you know Vassell was plus 14 in 24 minutes Minutes. Kate Bates diop was plus 12 in 17 minutes, more than that Friday. And, so, and as is often the case for San Antonio, the mixed unit starters versus backups did a really good job against Milwaukee.
2: Yeah. And as expected, they are struggling to find a go to option. You know, I mean, there are probably three highest usage guys were going to be DeJounte Murray, Derek White, and Keldon Johnson. And those guys, uh Derek White's 52% true shooting is the highest of any of them. The other two are below 50%. And the cat Jakub Pertl though again continues to be really good he's been quite efficient offensively even with his free throw struggles at times 18 percent offensive rebounds for Jakub Pertl uh, so far and then defensively after last night he had defended nine more shots at the rim than anyone else and the percentages haven't been you know he hasn't been leading the league like he has been at times but uh, just watching guys try to go up around him at the rim he clearly is a a big deterrent uh, for them third on the team in minutes as well like he is becoming a very solid starting center uh and he's cut down his fouls at least a little bit too he's only averaging 3.9 fouls per 36 minutes so that's enough for him to stay on the court at, at least and he's getting a little bit of floater action going as well out of pick and roll part of the reason i think he's doing that is because he's uh regressed to six or 36 free throw shooting oh boy but he's just a really good player like he i mean he's probably been their best player so far
0: yeah i i would wholeheartedly agree anything else on the spurs
2: uh no i don't think so we, we talked about them pretty recently uh, uh, that lakers game that they did let's finish up here with the now four and one jazz Second in the NBA in net rating at plus 13.9. They did lose to the Bulls. Son, Mike Conley, yesterday... Fourth on offense, 112.4. Third on defense, they project for the number one seed, 55 wins, 98% chance to the playoffs per Raptor, 94% per ELO. And these guys just completely destroy bad teams who just can't solve the math problem of them they're up 30 on the Rockets in the third.
0: Right, and, that, and that's why it's not a surprise that the Jazz were the longest running undefeated team, even though that run has ended now, um, because they, they have these bunch of games that are, you know, you could call for a lot of teams they'd be relatively low, relatively low loss percentages, but relatively low and zero are not the same thing, but they're pretty damn close. For the Jazz, um one important piece of context, I mean, I think that the Jazz defense is going to be strong overall, but opponents are shooting an almost comically low 25% on threes so far this year, which is yes. totally and completely insane. Um and when you the juxtaposition of that when the Jazz themselves are shooting 33%, which is not great. Like that's actually below what we'd expect for them. Um that you Yeah, know,
2: I mean there I think they are like 40% as a team the last b- couple of I years, believe so. so.
0: But a part of that is also the crazy, like the, the disparity that the Jazz have in terms of attempts. So last year, Utah took 45% of their shots from three. No other team was over 42%. Portland was at second last year. Um, this year, they're at 44.3. So they're basically the same percentage of shots that you, from, from downtown. But interestingly, a couple of teams are moving close to them. Dallas and Minnesota, both of whom have new coaches. I mean, we're dealing with a small sample here, but those teams are over 44%. And and it's not a surprise to me to see other teams moving towards the Jazz instead of the Jazz moving towards other teams because they were kind of at the front of this edge.
2: Yeah. Now, the Bulls, uh, they did lose to them, finally struggled from 3-11-38. Donovan Mitchell had 30 points, but it took him 9-27 of 27 from the field to get there, had six assists and six turnovers. They had 20 turnovers as a team, the Bulls are a high turnover-forcing team, but many of the Jazz turnovers were unforced. The Bulls only had eight steals out of the Jazz, 20 turnovers, uh, the other problem with Chicago as in a matchup against the Bulls is these teams that have two pretty good creators with size on the perimeter, and DeRozan really destroyed them. He had 32 points. There's one play that made the highlight packages where he just left Boyan Bogdanovich's strap out near the block when he just got him with a spin move for a layup. So between Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan, they have basically one guy who can guard either of those guys with the Royce O'Neill. And O'Neill, he's kind of better against. against bigger, stronger players, he's not even necessarily that quick to defend out on the perimeter. So... That was a struggle. Rudy Gobert, had an awesome start to the year. Uh, he was negative 15 in, in 32 minutes. And so their perimeter defense remains a concern. Donovan Mitchell, admittedly, in a game without Conley, he really struggled defensively last night as well, got beat off the dribble a bunch of times. And it was also noteworthy as well that the Bulls were doing a fair amount of switching against the Jazz, even to the point of doing it with Nikola Vucevic, who's not known as a great switch defender. And the Jazz were not able to do a great job uh, of beating that necessarily necessarily gobert did have seven offensive rebounds that was part of it against that strategy but if they had hit more threes then maybe it would have been a little bit different and then donovan mitchell not having a great start to the season in five games they are keeping his minutes down in part due to some of the blowouts but only averaging 22 points a game he is at 38 percent from the field and 29 percent from three he is taking almost 10 threes per game he was two for 11 last night again not, nothing to panic about some of these other guys as well like boyan royce o'neill jordan 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 Clarkson is actually shooting nine threes a game but only making 28 percent of them so some of these guys are, are better shooters than that they'll improve and eh, maybe not Clarkson he was down to like 34 percent by the end of, of last year um yeah with Conley out they you know get into your Jared Butler's and Trent Forrest off the bench having to play Eric Paschal as well like they're still they aren't like quite humming but they just are so it's so easy for them to beat bad teams that they're gonna just be fine uh, all year I, they're still my pick for the number one seed um and i think that will do it danny we got anything else to talk about here well yeah we should mention for those of you
0: who want to listen to us call a game you can listen and watch the nba cast which will be on league pass that we're doing trailblazers 76ers that is it's a it's a philly game so it's a 7 eastern 4 p.m pacific start that should be a really fun one um we'll be doing that um on monday evening afternoon depending on what time time zone you're in
2: yeah philly versus portland that will be an interesting one dame Little get get a look at his future team just kidding <laughs> just kidding guys no. thanks nate doesn't doesn't seem very likely to happen uh all right let's uh, let's get out of here and we will talk to y'all on monday for prime subscribers and the rest of y'all will have our tuesday show you can actually get in and ask questions live on twitter spaces that's at six eastern three pacific or it'll be released as a podcast later that night we'll talk to y'all then
1: everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich